Welcome to AB Testing Podcast, your modern testing podcast. Your hosts, Alan and Brent, will be here to guide you through topics on testing, leadership, agile, and anything else that comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Live from our my house and Brent's office, it's the AB Testing Podcast. Hey, Brent. Hey, yay! It's us. The same Again. place we've been for the last... 14 months. Actually, several of those you were in your house. I don't remember the last A-B testing we did together, but maybe it'll happen again someday. I am half vaccinated. As am I. I got my first shot. I got a Moderna shot on a Monday. I felt a little foggy, a little tired on Tuesday, but other than that, I was good except for feeling like someone hit me in the arm with a two by four. I, I beat you by one working day. Got my Pfizer shot last Friday. No, no symptoms except for again the two by four thing. It basically massive soreness at the injection shot, just like any other vaccine I've ever had. Although a couple of days ago I started experiencing uh, stiffness. Oh, I thought it was going to be superpowers because I can fly now. Oh, dude, not very yeah. far. I can fly about four feet. But, you know, I'm not sure I'm not sure I could do that before. I was expecting uh, your your superpower to be uh, to communicate with wildlife, particularly uh, grizzly bears. Oh, yes. Uh, You missed it in the pre-show, which you don't get to hear because it costs money. No, nothing costs money here. But in the pre-show, Brent compared me to uh, Grizzly Adams. Which uh, much of our demo, some of our demographic may remember. Some may wonder what that is, but we'll let you Google that. Yes, and I will tell you, uh, for those who aren't able to see the live stream, I will tell you. Oh my God, is it similar? <laughs> <laughs> the 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 we a couple episodes ago, I don't know, several episodes ago, we started talking about. The, the B in AB testing is about to refer to Alan's beard. And, and if you go to our Slack group at one of the three dot slack.com, there's a link to sign up on moderntesting.org. You can go to the Alan's beard channel there and occasionally get an update on the state of Alan's beard. And I am, I am claiming that it is just, just a short term amount of time before Alan's beard asserts itself and makes that happen of its own volition. Yeah, it's we are maybe a month or two away from the beard uh, reaching a sentient uh, property. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I you I should can probably see that. Uh, you are one of the three. If they get to it before you, should post uh, a picture of Grizzly Adams in the Alan's beard channel just to see if like separated at birth. <laughs> Uh, i remember watching that show when i was a kid so vaccines good uh we've all heard that like basically 90 plus percent of the time that second shot is going to kick your ass to some extent yeah i i've heard that that's especially true with moderna i will have my fingers crossed for you alan uh and anyone else on moderna i have Um, i have preemptively marked uh two days off after my shot just in case uh and then there will be a, so my second shot is is essentially conflicts uh, with uh, our podcast uh, next time around. So we'll we'll have to do some schedule adjustments. Okay, you can move it. We can push it out a week. We can do other times. So I'm usually free in the afternoons because I work. Uh, I most most of my team is in another continent. Uh, Which reminds me, I've been reading a book called The Culture Map, just FYI for any of you that works uh, with a global team. You know, I've been doing it for a long time, but still some insights from that book and understanding the difference across a whole bunch of attributes of different cultures. And just maybe a quick little book report. What it does is it takes these eight or so attributes of communication and then puts different countries on a a scale, whereas what seems really strict and rigid in one country may seem like chaos in another country. Uh, just so it all depends on your point of view of how you how you communicate. For example, you're probably aware of this, but English being 
the hodgepodge cesspool of a language it is, has like two or three times as many words as a lot of other languages. And what that means is we can be very, in English, we are very explicit usually in our communication, whereas in languages with fewer words, the subtleties or between the lines communication is much more prevalent. And just being aware of that and how you communicate with people from different cultures is very important. So very insightful. Wasn't even on my list of things to bring up, but that's what happens on the A-B testing podcast. Yeah. Uh, hey, Brent, in case there's a new listener, uh, <laughs> like, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll let you answer that, but no, I won't. Uh, all right. Fair enough. I was going to say uh, you could answer that in a moment, but just for any potential new listeners. And we had a listener, by the way, who started from episode one and listened all the way through. Kudos to that guy. I think, I think it was a guy. Now, now, kudos, I, now I feel kudos, stupid. I mean, I uh, I offer my deep, deep sympathy. <laughs> di- yeah. Remorse, regret, compassion, empathy. Yeah, that is that is one I'm impressed. On the other hand, yeah, some of those it took us a while to figure it out. But why is our podcast called A B testing? Well, because the officially I think the checking meme started after we did the the podcast. Oh oh <laughs> are you saying it should have been A B checking? Yeah, well, just think of it. A, B, C. I mean, the T-shirt writes itself. A is for Alan. B is for Brent. We don't know what testing is. Checking is for... (laughs) uh, I don't know. Ooh. You know what? Let's change it because A, B, checking is A, B, C. Dude, I literally like 30 seconds ago said that. Like... No, but I, I did that thing where, where I, what's it called when, uh, see, if you were a woman and I did that, there's a term for that. It's called heap, heap eating. No, mansplaining oh, is when I explain yeah, something to you yep. that you already know. Heap eating is when I repeat it from, you know, being, anyway, I'm just, it's not that I'm, uh, I don't have respect for you. Well, that's actually it. Never mind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah ABC. So, and we're really not about testing, which... The only thing I worry about, and in fact, if you're listening, uh, I don't even know if, if getting more reviews or we have a lot of reviews and in the stores and we're, and we're very well rated. Here's what I worry about. You know, we do this not for the fame and fortune. We do this. Actually, it's still to help testers and people from test understand how to navigate the new world that is unveiling quicker than some people like in front of them. But I feel like there's a whole world of people in software development and agile teams struggling to figure things out and all over the place who would benefit from our podcast, but maybe don't listen to it because it has the word testing in the title. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but what do you think? How do So my question is, uh, we have... We have a solid, pretty consistent thousand-ish listeners per podcast. Uh, so thank you, all of you. It's really only three of you at a time, and thank you for logging in from different IP addresses and and fixing our stats. But I feel like we've finally gotten to a point as we begin our 139th episode where we can recognize that we provide value to a maybe a larger audience so uh, i'm going to shut up and get your thoughts sir yeah um I'll, I'll tell you the the thought process for why it was a b testing it was rather alan and i uh, were thinking through names uh, i don't remember any of the other candidates we we had right but i was thinking through okay what is our desired audience uh what is our expected audience? What is our desired audience? And where are Alan and our my interests? Okay? And for me, A-B testing really resonated because number one, right? It it uh, covered uh, you and me and, and sort of the expected audience. Uh, but number two, it, it covered kind of where I th- thought at that point in time we would go go really deeper in than we really, really have. Uh, it opened the door to sort of bringing in data science topics uh, as well as 
just sort of A-B testing by itself is a really great modern testing tool. So to me, it was just sort of all the different checkboxes got marked off with that. The only, the only flaw we've seen so far is in order for Alan to get rid of me, he has to find a, a good co-partnered with a letter B. But then the one of three even stepped up and, and you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, even, people can change their name. <laughs> right. The pseudonym is, is, um, is very cheap to advertise on. Right. Right. Bursey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. Just, I'm yeah. curious on thoughts. Sir. That wasn't again, also not on my intended topics. One thing I wanted to mention, and I should have put this in my five for Friday. I was stupid. Uh, I, as mentioned before, I have a new uh, Mac M1, total subject change. And as maybe I mentioned, at least in Five for Friday, I have a brand new big ass monitor, uh, 34-inch ultra wide. They're actually from this century. My last monitors only had VGA and DVI inputs. So without an adapter, I couldn't connect my Mac and it wouldn't be great refresher resolution. So now that I have a proper monitor from the right decade, I can have both my Mac and my Linux machine plugged in and they both can run 4K on this monitor, which is great. So I'm using my Mac more and I thought about getting a KVM. I had a separate keyboard for my Mac, which I was using and me adjust my, my little bouncy ball I said on quite a bit, but then someone on Slack, uh, again, I forget names. So I, sorry, recommended this product called Synergy, which is a software solution. Do you remember at Microsoft, remember, do you still have, what was the thing called with all the tools, toolbox or... Yeah. Code, is that called Toolbox? Toolbox. Interestingly, without any input at all from me or anyone from Microsoft at Unity, we now have a site called Toolbox with similar things. But uh, anyway, there was a thing on Toolbox called Magic Mouse, which lets you share a mouse between uh, between systems, which is really cool. But this is keyboard and mouse you can share between systems via a little teeny little TCP server. And it works really, really well. Uh, you can even cut and paste between operating systems. And, That's and the two machines you're using are your laptop and your home computer. Yeah. Like, yeah. As I mentioned last time, I'm not spending a whole lot of time on my laptop. Yeah. My laptop kicks butt. The new MacBook Pro M1s, they completely rule. From my middle son for graduating high school, as well as to sort of prep him for going to. Uh, your alma mater, actually. Uh, we bought him a Dell XPS 17. And it, so it's a 17 inch screen. And I'm like, why didn't I buy two of those? That thing is sweet. <laughs> it's so big. It's so big. Okay. Yeah. So that was that list. Although, honestly, the answer to that is at this point in time, like, it. it I'm so trained. I'm like, no, I don't buy myself a laptop. That's work's problem. Exactly. Exactly. You know, I feel like we could almost do tech recommendations, but I, I feel like the kids out there know more about the new tech coming out sometimes. So I rely on my Twitter followers to make that. Like I had them give me monitor recommendations. I had them help me figure out if I should get the, the 15 inch Intel MacBook pro or go with 13 inch M one. And I'm super happy with the M one things like that. Anything else going on? We should cover. We have a mailbag and something else. I forget. Oh yeah. Anything else? I had two topics. You know what they are. Anything else you want to cover before we dive into those 15 minutes into the podcast? No, I'm good. I think it's important that our listeners get to know us and what's going on in our world before we start talking about stuff that they probably don't care about as much, which but which is occasionally informative. Wow. You, so those, like I'm staring at Alan and he suddenly shifted to like full-blown empathy mode in his body language. So, so uh, I'm not accustomed to it. Normally, I the the face I look into is filled with anger around. They know. don't call me angry weasel for nothing. So, oh, okay, where is this going? Uh, it's a trap. I'm sensing a trap coming. Always a trap. Always a trap. Yeah. Okay, hey, I wanted to follow up. So, a couple episodes ago, we talked about personality types, and uh, by the way, 
Ray Dalio, the author of Principles, one of my favorite books, his company, and I forget the link, but I just, they have yet another personality test, which I did. It's uh, fine. But I'm discovering of all of them as I dig into it and pay attention to this stuff, and they're not all personality, but these little tests, the working genius is giving me more and more value. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But can you remind me of what your top two and bottom two are, if you have those, Brent? That would be the two working genius and the two working frustration. That is correct. Thank you for digging out the right nomenclature for me. Uh, it, yeah. Okay. My two working genius are invention and discernment. Oh, yes. I could see and, that. And, and frustrations? Enablement and tenacity. Okay. So that's good to know. So let me, as I dug into this more and thought about how this works, and I had um, some licenses that I had some of my team go through, it's been a little uh, enlightening if you think about how these work. So the geniuses are, uh, they spell widget, wonder and invention, discernment and galvanizing, and enablement and tenacity. So the cool way with the way these work, which I didn't mention last time because I didn't actually realize it, is... When you think about how we make things, whether it's software, processes, or whatever, you start with wonder and invention. You ponder things. You figure out, I wonder if we could do it this way. I wonder the way you come up with a good idea is to come up with a lot of ideas and throw the bad ones out. Wonderers are great at that. They just throw stuff out there with the full idea that we're going to get some stuff torn apart. And then invention is, what are these new ideas? But we don't go straight from there to actually implementation. There's uh, the, the, there's these middle steps of discernment, of breaking down the idea, making sure we're solving the right problem for the right people. You are a discerner. You enjoy figuring out if what people think they want to do is the right thing and, and making sure it's solving the right problem for the customer. This, this brings you joy. It does. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. Uh, <laughs> uh, a, a very common phrase uh, that I now use, because as you know, uh, I talk to lots of executives here at the company. Um, I will go to them and say, I hear what you want, but it's my job to bring you what you need. Yeah, I say that all the time, too, because I am also a discerner. And sometimes they're the same thing. Sometimes. So in the, in the middle there is discernment and galvanizing. And I sit right in the middle. I just, I'm able to break stuff apart like you do. And I like to give people what they need versus what they want. And it brings, it's all that I can't do all of it. Anyone can do all of this stuff. But if you do the stuff that are in your frustrations, what I'll get to in a minute, eventually those kind of wear you out if that's all you do. So I live in the middle. I, I rely on other people to wonder and invent. Not that I can't wonder and invent, not that I don't, but the things that give me the most joy are making sure we're solving the right problem and then getting everybody rallied around solving the problem and making making the team understand what's important about what they do. I like when you go to Dan Pink's Autonomy, Mastery, and Purpose, I love bringing purpose to the work. It gives me joy. If I feel like I can connect people with the work they're doing and the project we need to get done, that's that's the kind of stuff I like doing. Are you, are you saying that your two, you didn't remind uh, us of your I top did. two? I did. I snuck it in there. It's, it's the oh. middle two, discernment and galvanizing. So discernment we just discussed oh. and galvanizing is getting everyone together on solving the right problem. And your bottom? My bottom two, I believe, are it's not one. Oh, it's uh, invention and tenacity. And what it means is I can get people rallied around the project. And again, I've had tenacity before. I can just I'm just going to go crank this work out. So enablement is giving you the, the support you need while you're doing the work. And it could just, you know, I can do that. And I've done that a lot. It doesn't bring me as much. It doesn't bring me joy. If all I had to do was get in the trenches and do the work, and it could be just how I've changed over time, but doing that enabling, sorry, not enablement, tenacity, enablement's in my, yeah, enablement's there. Tenacity's in my middle. So it's enablement. And I was looking at yours, enablement and invention. I don't, uh, I don't invent things often, but I love to jump in as things are invented and do the discernment. 
Mm. So with you, with uh, enablement and tenacity at the bottom, those are the, both the things at the end of the building stuff. So you start with wonder and dimension, you go to discernment and galvanizing, and then there's enablement and tenacity. So it sounds like, you know, I know I've seen you do those things, but what this says is that those things don't bring you joy. Getting- it's, yeah, it, it's... It, it's- the thing with working genius here, right? They're talking about, so you use the term joy uh, for other folks sort of derive energy from Mm -hmm. uh, would be another way of expressing it. It's not a negative thing. It's not that I suck at enablement or tenacity. Right. Absolutely. Right. It's uh, which, doesn't mean I don't suck at those two as well, right? It's, it's not making a comment on those on those statements. It's basically saying it's it's far more likely to be a energy drainer than a energy refiller. Correct. And the right? so, so the addendum I want to add it on today. Add on today. And if this is all new to you, please go back and listen to a couple episodes ago when we talked about this. But. What I didn't get before I thought was worth bringing up is that the way these fit together around getting a project from inception to customers is this working genius. So you start with wonder and invention, you go to discernment and galvanizing. Is it, these are leadership attributes, of course, and then enablement and tenacity is, is just getting that work done. So I wanted to bring that up because one, I learned that and thought it would add a nice cap onto our previous discussion, but two... It leads directly into a question from our mailbag. Insert gra- insert sound here. If I can find it. Crap, I have a new computer. I may have lost it. Just a second. Just in case I have to do this again. <clears throat> mailbag! <clears throat> All right. So the question from Sean. Yay! Oh, my God. That fills me with so much joy. <laughs> it's been a uh, while. It's been a while. Yeah. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Sean says a topic I think might be interesting and Sean we think it's interesting too so you're you're right is walking through the life of a feature from inception to production whether in a fictional or real process to illustrate how collaboration works how you see roles on a team and what a team without dedicated testers look like a lot of details here Alan mentioned in last episode that development is collaborative of course and on a team without dedicated testers other developers may test the code or everyone everyone tests it doesn't need to be the person who develops doing all the testing. I agree. I agree. I remember Brent saying previously that he asks about test process and data proving a feature works. Yes, that's part of it. That whole everything is a hypothesis. Everything is an experiment approach. Yep. Uh, And then I'm sorry, I'm adding too much stuff here. All makes me curious how you might see a feature from beginning to end, who might work on it, handoffs or whoever might be described from story writing to design to engineering release and monitoring. I know every situation could be different, but what is an example of a process you think works well, maybe with comments and other ways that could work well or what wouldn't work well, any sort of handoffs never work well. I'll tell you that right now, but let's talk through this. We have, I think we can make it. We have like a half hour. Why do you think handoffs don't work well? I think handoffs are often, often cause bottlenecks. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And I'm wondering if what I, my team does, right. Um, because we do a lot of, I I don't even know what the term is. So intermediate pair programming, where it's essentially, there will be, um, folks working together, then they'll separate and they'll come back and they'll separate, right? It's essentially a spontaneous V team of two. I, maybe that's another way of calling it. Oh, cool. Uh, handoffs don't generally work well when it's a situation where you're also, you're also handing, handing off out of the blue, an unknown context, right? It's, it's essentially, all right, Alan, I have this spreadsheet that I just finished doing. Uh, I need you to um, successfully cluster the data together. Or, you know, I'm, I'm making crap up because I'm looking at my other screen with the spreadsheet loaded. Okay, I, I could see that. I was thinking more of when I thought hand, I thought throwing stuff over the wall kind of handoffs versus that's a collaborative handoff, really. Right. So, so let's 
okay, so maybe it's worth calling to, out. Well, yeah, what's it's the nuance of the handoff. Non-collaboration uh, is a bottleneck. That I'll agree with. <laughs> okay, so let's yeah. start. And I can, we could probably both have several stories here, but let's kind of walk through a fictitious example. So, uh, but oh boy, my first uh, my first inclination before we wreck it is a suggestion to Sean to go read The Lean Startup. Because it probably, I imagine we're, we'll be stealing liberally from uh, Reese as we talk through this scenario. Yeah, there's there's actually um, another book I read, and I forget the name of it. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, that one's really good. I read that a couple times. Uh, actually, you might have. It's very old. Um, but it had to do with... <laughs> what are you saying, man? You saying I'm old? Uh, well, yeah, you are. Okay. Uh, I mean... Um, yeah, you you know that, um, but I'm still kind of uh, I'm still kind of dealing with the segue from the last topic because I, I uh, as you rightly called out, it's not much of a segue. It's more of a tightening of the focus. I'll bring up that that I'll use that as a teaser, and if I can tell that story later uh, in context, I will. You'll completely <laughs> forget the story in the next two minutes. It's all right. All right, so let's start from idea. Uh, let's say I have an idea for a new product or I wonder or something or a new feature. So, Oh, I, let me start here. Here's, here's a better way to frame that. How do you figure out what the next feature is you're going to deliver? Well, you start with, start with, uh, a need gap in some fashion. No, no, no. You start with things you think that would be cool to do. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Do you? <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> well, we both. Well, look. no. Sadly, some people do. That's absolutely yeah, sadly true. some people do, and that's wrong. It's ideally you understand or have a way to understand what the biggest problems are your customers or potential customers are facing. Yeah, or or, or like you said, you just you just fully own the fact that you are the second coming of Steve Jobs, and then you do whatever the hell you feel like. Did I tell you about the time at Microsoft when one of uh, someone who is no longer there was a partner test manager who was known as a buffoon? He reminds me of Mike Pence, actually, but he uh, compared himself to Steve Jobs in a meeting I was in. Like literally said, well, I Steve Jobs has ideas and I have ideas that are the same. So what? So in reality, I, I like to start with what's the customer problem we're trying to solve? And hopefully it's a, a big one or one of the biggest ones. I like to start with the problem versus the feature idea. And then I refer to Weinberg, which is until you can think of at least three different solutions to your problem, you don't understand your problem well enough yet. Uh, that I agree with. The... Um and in even further, I'll tell you the three. I'll tell you what the three different solutions should be. The one that is uh, the low cost, high risk. The one that should be low risk, high cost, and the one that is right in between. I get that. I get that. Do Do you actually? I mean, you're laughing, but do you get the? The wisdom behind that. No, one. I do. It's 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 uh, a flavor of the quadrant used often: uh, effort versus impact. Right. Right. Yeah, I, I use that frequently. Okay, uh, but it, but they may not all be that way. They all they all may have different trade offs that may not be that may be more subtle than the impact versus effort. But the important it's, thing is, is you don't. Uh, as you know, just don't fall in love with your first solution. So who's involved in figuring that stuff out? Who's involved in effort and impact and problem solving? Uh, in a generic sense or in a, in a, in, in a modern, in, in a modern sense, in, in, in a modern sense, in a world where we live. So it's, it's, I was gonna say the whole team, but that's, that doesn't even cover it because the, the problem statement could come from user research as part of UX. It could come from marketing. It could be product management. It could come directly from customers through a series of forum posts or scathing articles. There are lots of ways for you to understand that problem, but you, you won't understand the effort impact quadrant 
until you get your development team involved to understand. Because a lot of times you really can't understand which solution is most feasible and viable until you can get people brainstorming about the different solutions. Well, yeah, but I think you're you're not at that phase yet. It, it's right. The very first thing is, is how do you know when to even bring that idea to that forum? Uh, I guess I'll be the first to bring up the, the Eric Reese story, right? It, it's essentially in Lean Startup, one of the things that, that he talks about is how they very deeply uh, began to invest in uh, what Eric Reese now will proclaim was a, just a fundamentally stupid idea, right? Um, right. It, it's very easy to get spun up in believing that you have found a, a, an important gap and work through that. Right. If we if we use your system, the widget ordering, like wondering is, hey, where is their great potential? So they got to that phase. They they basically said, hey, we think it's going to be absolutely fantastic to do blah 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 blah. And there's a lot of people who are doing that, and and you know you just have to watch, you know, three episodes of Shark Tank to get a good sense of the diversity of, of the, how people will come up with, with new potential uh, and, and even stand behind it. Now, the question is, in my mind, in, in a, and that's always happened in, in throughout history. Like you and I have talked through, like how many times in the old school Microsoft did we go and see a requirements document that, uh, you know, was was either unfounded by any sort of customer statement oh. or, or very loosely founded. Uh, right? So darn often. Oh, my God. It just drove me crazy. Even when I didn't know what was better, I knew it was wrong. Right. Right. Yeah, and, and back then, one of the challenges were was we really didn't have the ability to to do anything differently, right? So this 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 person did two hour call with a customer, and uh, that entire deck came from that call, right? From one customer, right? But we didn't have the ability to scale customer feedback back in those days, right? Right. Okay, because so we didn't ship anything. To <laughs> True again. So okay, so we're vetting. Uh, we're figuring. We're doing a bunch of work up front to make sure we're building the right thing. Let me fast forward a little bit and say we feel like we have what's called product market fit. Okay. What happens next, and who's involved? So are we to the are are we now to the let's figure out exactly what we're going to build to solve this problem phase? So we we found product market fit. Let's say we've selected the best what we think is the best solution. Well, actually, we well, should we already, should even experiment already, with solutions. Yeah, have have we already discerned solutions? Because I think the first thing like wonder is the exploration of right. opportunity. That's how I view it. That's, yeah, yeah. So what, you're you're right. We need to discern the solutions. It can't. Like I said, it's more, it's usually more subtle than just effort and impact. If there's like a, if there's a low effort, high impact, it's just, we could probably just go forward and try it, but it is, doesn't always work that way. I just realized my dog is laying on my foot. Didn't know she was there. Great. Back on, back on, look, a squirrel. <laughs> uh, um, okay. So I, li I like the idea of discerning solutions. Again, a lot of companies fall in love with their first solution. A lot of feature teams were as discerners, especially, and as disciples of the lean startup, we say BS to that. So we want to discern the solutions. Let's talk about how that happens. Who's involved in that? Uh, discern. We got, we skipped over invention. I think invention. I mean, no, no. So the very first thing, so wonder. So th this is actually really cool. I did not play. I knew there was a segue, but you are actually tying this phase of working genius directly in here, which I kind of love. So I'm going to let you keep going. And I'll remind you 
my working genius is invention and discernment. Okay. Uh, so I, in some regards. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm I moving and I'm moving on because I don't really care about, about, about that first part. I want to get to discernment and galvanize, but anyway, right. go on. So wonder, uh, I'm going to go back. Wonder is, is around the, the gift of seeing an opportunity and a need. Uh, and it's a gift. Uh, I, I, I wish I could load an example, uh, but have you ever sat down and briefly thought, hey, you know, this particular something or other sucks. How come they don't make it this way? And I wish I could come up with a, a really good example here. It's something actually my wife does quite often. Um, she she will go, why, why doesn't, yeah, anyway, I can't even load any, any of her examples at the moment. The closest example I can think of is back in the day. Do you remember magic cards? Did you ever get sucked into magic cards? Like Magic the Gathering? Yeah. No, I never played. Oh, so... Literally 90% of my spare income in college went to magic cards. Okay. Um, and what I would do is I turned it into business. I actually created this whole offline auction system where people would send in bids and I did it on God news groups. Like this was before the internet and I had generalized it. Uh, but you know what? I, I was thinking of, I had a need, okay? I had a need and I had a full end-to-end -end bidding system and in different types of bids, but I don't have that gift of wonder. So it never, it never immediately inherently registered that, hey, if I generalize like the, the money I'm selling off of these magic cards, is less valuable than if I found a way to generalize this whole auction site. Yep. Right. Um, and that was the thing that amongst other things, uh, the, the other thing is it's not on here. I have the vice of being completely lazy. Um, but that was one key thing, which is why you're not currently talking to the, the CEO of eBay because I didn't, think broader around that potential. Okay. So it never occurred to me that, the, that there was a global need on that one. Once you have identified a potential need, then, then how do you generate ideas? How do you generate solutions to that question is you bring in domain experts and you have a, a brainstorming session. You do not. And ideally the customer is part of your domain experts. Yeah. That, yes. Right now. Um, uh, in 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 some models, they call this uh, feasibility analysis, opportunity analysis. That's where you go and through and you say, okay, how do you take this thing and understand the pros and cons? What would be the constraints out of the solution? There's many a times where I'll come to you, Alan, on certain things, and you go, I don't know the solution, and then with a few precision questions. I, I can really understand that, well, at least you know the constraints on, on that solution. So if there is a solution, it's now not this big grab bag of thing. It's got to be in a much, much smaller space, right? For example, you may say, hey, I need a solution for something, but I need it in the next two weeks. So anything that's going to take longer than that is not going to be a solution. Now, now with that constraint, you can bring in people and say, okay, what can we do within this time period? On discernment, intuitively and instinctively evaluating ideas and situations. That is one of mine. And I don't know that if I say, so there's certainly, I don't, I do it intuitively. I'm an, in, I'm, yeah. I'm an N, but instinctive, I don't. So this one I, I'll say for me, I am very able to sort of very quickly, I, I think of it in terms of the strength finder. I'm an ideator. Okay. I see how I see all the dots and I see how they're all connected. Let's tie all this to yes. how a team does their stuff. So, so at, at, you need to, you need to vet the ideas, discern the ideas and figure out, uh, I'm going to fast forward this a little bit. 
because we you do need to take time to figure out which is the best solution. It can depend on time. It can depend on customers and market and other pressures. Lots of things can influence which decision you choose. In in terms of modern testing and in tying it to that, the process of discernment, I, I'll, I'll be super tactical on this. You get the right group of people together. You identify what are the three MVP things. You then prune those down because no one really fully understands what an MVP is. They always turn it into a freaking beta. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. And they go, well, all we want to do is what is the cheapest thing that we can do to sort of test these things out. Yes. And that's ex- that's a 100% yes. That's what you have to vet it down to is what is the least amount of effort we can do in order to get feedback that will tell us whether or not we're going in the right direction. Right. And yeah, I, I, I totally echo your people bastardize the MVP term into something much, much bigger. And it drives me freaking nuts. They just don't get it. And it makes me angry when it really shouldn't. So now it's because they overload what the point is, and right? It, it's not an MVP's goal is not to generate customer happiness. No, no, it's, it's getting it's to generate the, in-house feedback. learning, right? Yes. Generate learning. So now uh, we figure those things out. Um, uh, let me know if I fast forward too much, but yes, absolutely. Part of discernment should be breaking it down. And then part of that, if we go through the working genius stuff is getting the team aligned. And I'm going to repeat something I've unfortunately had to say in several different conversations this week is that alignment is not consensus. And get the team aligned on what um, what they're doing, what they're trying to learn. They get it until you. This goes with the rallying cry. Until the team under team one hundred percent has to fully understand the problem they're solving, and be aligned on the solutions they're putting in place and what the plan is in order to do that. So that is everyone on the team. If you have a dedicated tester, testers are generally people with that testing background. I'm not going to say mindset, but that testing background are very good at discernment. Generally, they're good at asking those questions and figuring things out. Maybe not as good as getting everyone aligned, which is galvanizing. Probably why maybe it's because I'm a galvanizer that I work on alignment so much. Now I have to go ponder that later. Okay. So anything else to talk about there before we get into really the nitty gritty in the last 10 minutes here, which is all of the implementation of this stuff and who's involved. How do handoffs work? Those sorts of things. Well, so I, I kind of go old school um, agile on this is that you, you you sort of create an assembly line of the work. And part of part of that work ad, advancing forward are, are essentially spot quality checks. If you think about acceptance reviews, generally in Scrum, you have an acceptance criteria either generated or negotiated with the product owner. When the scenario is complete, there there should be some form of an acceptance review, which is essentially, okay, I now have implemented what I thought we had agreed to. Let me validate that it was what we agreed to. Yeah, I would go back one step. I think, yes, you do those things, but it's important also, this is where if you have a dedicated tester, they'll help. But if not, it has to happen anyway, is you need to think about all of that validation and testing as part of planning. We make our teams think about a test plan and and you can make them think about testing. How are you going to know this is going to work in production up front? This actually goes going back to Reese. It's what asking that question, how will we know this is successful in production? Right. It's essentially, it's essentially asking before we begin, how do we know if it's, if it's, Working or failing. Yeah. And what and ties into, I mean, there's this really old school thing, uh, failure modes, fail, FMEA. But the idea was to think about all the ways your application could fail before you shipped. Uh, that that FMEA is super old school and super heavyweight. But there's a flavor of that you need to do in addition to the success metrics is how are we going to know? Like just thinking about, say, I'm shipping a new 
website. That's a good generic thing. Before I go live, I want to get an idea of how I'm going to scale for load just in case people actually go there. Things like that. Just being able to think about those things up front as part of planning. That's a new thing for a lot of developers who haven't been in a team where they didn't have dedicated testers before. So that's where, if you have one, you can help out. But over time, and I've seen this in many, many, many teams, uh, it's not too hard to get a development team to think about those things, but you can't forget about it either. Yeah. The other thing with handoffs, like in terms of handoffs, the, the I mean, it, it's essentially, it, it kind of goes back to the sort of the stakeholder thing. Are you handing off because, hey, in terms of what needs the additional polish that needs to be added is best suited by a different set of experts or is it, is the handoff really lightweight and it's more of an inform or an improve much like the, the story uh, I mentioned around product owners. The I, I'm thinking through, I'm reading through Sean's question again. And I wonder, which we've, we've kind of touched on answering. So sorry, Sean, but you know, this is what we do here. Well, we got five minutes left. So I'm wondering, maybe we can go succinctly through like the thing that I, this all makes me curious how you might see a feature from beginning to end, who might work on it, maybe handoffs or however it may describe from story writing to design to engineering to release of monitoring. Okay. We've right. talked, we've talked maybe we a talked little through, about some of this, but not maybe not the best. Yeah. We, we kind of did it piecemeal. But we talked. And, we did. We and we did. covered That's some good stuff. The AB testing podcast come to us for a tangential talk. We got that one nailed. From story writing, right? It, it, initially, that one's that to me is it's very customer focused. It, it's uh, and this is one of my challenges that I constantly see is is no, it's not about the work. The story needs to be about the outcome. How do we know we got there and who cares? What's the context? So completely agree with story writing. Then from the story, it's as, as Alan and I just, just sort of, uh, I'll say detailed uh, with double quotes. Okay, how do we decompose that? How do we generate? What are the alternatives? What And with a heavy focus on, on lightweight, in my humble opinion, because the one thing that's the one thing that's missing from Sean's discussion, because he talks about story writing to design to engineering to release the monitoring. In my humble opinion, there is a bunch of sort of the, the loops through the system. I, I've our, our mission, accelerate the achievement of shippable quality. Uh, shippable quality may not be achieved in the first time the code goes to prod, right? It could just be a... a an MVP that's missing a lot of things, a lot of solidification, because you're really just trying to determine, is this idea something anyone freaking cares about? But then you'll you'll go back to the drawing board, add, add additional hardening or, or pivot entirely um, to sort of submit the direction that the, the idea came from. Obviously, monitoring needs to be in place. Uh, that, I think, is another tool for answering the questions that, that we just talked about. Is this, is this anything cares about? Hey, we, we operate under certain assumptions that, um, so for example, maybe we didn't test if it can scale beyond a thousand concurrent callers and we're suddenly way more popular than we expected. Right. Um, obviously, I would want monitoring in place and I would have a discussion around, hey, if for some as an example, if for some reason this exceeds what we tested for, uh, I want to monitor in the system that comes and tells me that I need to be observing this near real time because we may have made a decision to ship it too soon. Right. If if, if we tested it for for a thousand and it's a million callers, right? We may want to roll back. True. True. Right. One last thing to touch on, I think, and maybe we have to take some questions on this and answer more detailed questions. These open-ended questions are, are not good for AB testing, but we do get some, we do generate more questions from those, which is good. Mm -hmm. I've been thinking like ever since I first brought up, I, when I questioned handoffs, uh, I think it's worth just doing a quick recap on those because we do, 
believe in teams of specializing generalists or generalizing specialists. And often, whether it's a testing special or some testing background or performance or database or any other specialty, which may live in just a few people on the team, avoid the throw over the wall handoff. I think what we try and do on our team, we do a lot of pairing when we have expertise because we want a collaborative handoff. I don't, I don't even think of it as a handoff when we need a bunch of uh uh, we need to make sure that networking is set up correctly for a new GCP cluster. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, well, the well, first, welcome to crazy world. That's uh, the first time that's happened. Often so, coll- collaborating with a network engineer on the team who has some expertise there is a quick and easy way to do that versus and, and generate some learning on both sides versus just giving it to a network engineer and saying, Hey, I need this, do this for me. Cause I don't like handoffs like that. They, when I think a handoff should be a collaboration between the hander and the handy. There may be places. So there was guidance that I learned and I'm trying to figure out, I'm looking at my bookshelf. I don't see anything there, but one of the, one of the places that I learned around, there is a role for specialists, right? As the name might state, it needs to be something special like security uh deep security is a specialization and if you're mm-hmm. in a business where you need that right but the one thing to be cautious about is by its nature a handoff to a specialist is a bottleneck right that's that was but the moment of my cringe earlier fully agree we're on the same page which is weird but you know sometimes unavoidable but it might be necessary. And, and the way you account for that is, is essentially you look at, you, you then have to figure out how to optimize that particular bottleneck. And in terms of your end-to-end plan, you're going to have to think through, okay, how quickly is that bottleneck uh, getting through its sort of independent queue? Right. What what does that mean for our timing? How do we how do we change our scope? Uh, how do we go with a different solution in order for me to make sure that the end to end thing reaches market while there's still a viable window of, of opportunity? Anyway, yeah. So anyway, lean startup regurgitated. We'll call it that. Fantastico. <laughs> with, with, with some nuance in there. All right, we should uh, we should call it a day. It is or call it a Friday. Or wait, call it. Another lonely day. You can go your own way, Brent. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, All right. Again, I'll, again, I'll... showing my age. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, uh, I'm Alan's beard. And I am Alan's beard's uh, predecessor. The wit on you is amazing. All right. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Bye, all. Rock and roll.